If you're looking for a new women's basketball podcast, look no further. From the WNBA to the NCAA and beyond, these talented players are always at the forefront when it comes to social justice and pop culture. From certified legends to young cornerstones to future superstars, we've got it all right here. Join us as we break down the latest topics and storylines covering all things women's basketball. Welcome to Coast to Coast. Welcome to another episode of Coast to Coast. This is our first podcast to be released in September. September, a lovely month. I am your host for this episode, Heaven Hill. Joining me, we have the lovely, the talented, the handsome, Jory Mickens. Jory, what's going on with you today? You know, I'm good. Like you said, we're in September now. School has begun. You know, you and I are seniors, Heaven, so it's it's our last ride. So. It's exciting times here, but um, I'm excited to talk some women's basketball. And there's no better time to talk about it than right now, as we're nearing really the, the, the late stages of the WNBA season and the playoff race is heating up. You know, you have those, you know, four or five teams at the top that's, you know, starting to separate themselves from the pack, the Seattle's, the Connecticut's and, you know, Las Vegas teams of that nature. And then you have the teams towards the, the, the back of the standings, you know, Washington, Dallas, New York, Los Angeles. And they're really just trying to claw, you know, uh, and scratch their way into a playoff spot. So the, the hierarchy of the league is establishing itself. And like I said, the playoff race is heating up. Um, last week, one of those teams I named, the Connecticut Sun, defeated the Las Vegas Aces to become the first team to clinch a playoff spot. So, Jory, what did you see in that game? Yeah, I mean, that was a, a a dominant performance, I guess, by the Sun, taking down one of the better teams in the league in the Aces. And like you said, clinching the, the first playoff spot this season. But um, uh, the Sun, they will, uh, I guess after their game tonight, the Sun against the Mystics, they will only have five games remaining on the regular season schedule. And I don't think they could have, picked a better time to get hot uh, than this part of the season right now or since June 22nd they're 12 and one with their only loss um, strangely coming at the hands of the last place Indiana Fever um, I don't I don't know if you mentioned them but uh, Dewana Bonner uh, Brianna and Jonquil Jones have also been exceptional during this stretch in their last 13 games again since June 22nd uh, Bonner's averaging 16.4 points and 7.2 rebounds. Uh, Jonquil Jones, who is, you know, depending on who you ask, the leading candidate for MVP right now, um, she's averaging 18.1 points and 11.4 rebounds since the start of their hot stretch. And Brianna Jones is averaging 16.1 points and 7.8 rebounds in that span. Um, and, you know, while they haven't played the toughest opponents during this run, you know, they played the Sparks twice. They played the Fever twice. They played the Atlanta Dream and, and the Dallas Wings. So, again, not teams that are necessarily playoff bound. I don't think this is a fluke. Um, I think they are led by, again, one of the best players in the league in Jonquil Jones and just filled with a team with quality veterans. And I think they utilize their, their Olympic break to their advantage and come postseason time, they're going to be one of the hottest teams in the league. They're going to be tough to stop, and they're going to hit the ground running uh, in the playoffs. 
Yeah, and I highlighted that game against the Aces in particular because that matchup between those two teams, I believe they were first and second in the standings at the time. I think they both were 19 and six or, or 18 and six, whatever it was. And the winner of that game would have uh, had sole, uh, <laughs> they would have been in sole possession of first place. I don't know why my, my mind went blank for a second, but the winner of that game would have been in sole possession of first place and they would have clinched a playoff spot, you know, first. And, you know, yeah, it's just a playoff spot, but uh, that's obviously a huge accomplishment for these teams, you know, being the first team to stake your claim and to make the playoffs. And like you said, I mean, this is no fluke from Connecticut. You know, we saw last season what they were able to do, you know, despite injuries and setbacks, you know, to get as far as they did as one of the, the lower seeds in the playoffs. I mean, they're, they're really talented, you know, and they've got a great coach. And like you said, John Quill Jones, I mean, she's amazing. Brianna Jones has been phenomenal as of late. You know, she was an all-star this past season last year. I had her tabbed as a, a hidden sleeper, you know, of the bubble season for what she was able to do in John Quell's absence. And now with John Quell back on the team for Brianna Jones to maintain her production and, and to step her game up even more. I think obviously that adds a different layer to this team and then Dewana Bonner being as talented a scorer as we've seen in the W and, you know, in a while to have that big three, that's, really great you know for them to to have and those three have, have been amazing and then outside of those three you have those ancillary those ancillary pieces like Brianna or like Brianna January excuse me she had 19 points was uh, second in plus minus plus 15 in that win against the aces you've got uh, Natisha Heideman off the bench who didn't score in that game but had two rebounds two assists and was a plus 10 in her 13 minutes so she was crucial off the bench you know in the time that she got doing the most for her team. Kayla Charles coming off the bench as well, a young player for this team. She had six points then. Like, John Paul might have struggled in that game against the Aces, but she had 10 rebounds. Like, they they controlled the glass. They did everything. Jasmine Thomas had six assists, eight points. Like, it's just a team effort. That fourth quarter, like, it was back and forth. But to hold the Aces, one of the most talented teams in the league, to only eight points in that fourth quarter, to outscore them by 10, to really, you know, separate yourself in that final period, I think that game was awesome. And who knows, maybe it could be a, a finals preview. You know, for all we know, I'd love to see that. You know, Seattle, they're great. But Las Vegas has shown that they can compete. And I think that these two teams, who knows? I'd like to see them meet again because that game was phenomenal to watch. But moving on, another clutch game or another huge game from last week was the Minnesota Lynx against the Seattle Storm. And Sylvia Fowles in that one, I mean, man, she might have had one of the best games this season, if not the best game this season, and one of the best games in WNBA history. She had 29 points, 20 rebounds, four steals, and three blocks. So, Jory, firstly, we can talk about that game against Seattle for Minnesota. And then what are your thoughts on, on Sylvia Fowles' season? What has she done for you? And do you think she is, you know, the leading MVP candidate? I know you just said John Paul Jones, but what are your thoughts on Sylvia Fowles' case for that award? Yeah, well, uh, you know, similar to the Sun, I think the Lynx are are also on a hot streak at the moment as they've won 10 of their last 12 games. Um, and, you know, Fowles, as you mentioned, Evan, she's she's been extraordinary in that stretch, in this run. She's averaging 17.7 points, 11.2 rebounds, and 2.3 blocks per game while shooting 62% from the field and 86% from the free throw line 
um, you know, during that uh, stretch of, of 10 of their last 12, I guess, or winning 10 of their last 12. Um, but, you know, like you said, and like I kind of alluded to earlier, I, you know, in terms of whether or not she deserves to win the MVP award, I think it is remarkable that she is doing this during her age 35 season. You know, not a lot of athletes can can peak uh, or not necessarily peak, but, you know, prove at this age in their careers. Um, and, you know, you you dropped a little st- statistic in this in our rundown and I'll let you read that, I guess. But it's just hard for me to pick a, a player who's kind of on a, a middling team, even though they are, again, on a hot streak right now and they could definitely finish, you know, among one of the better teams in the in the league. It's hard for me to pick a pick her over someone like John Quill Jones or Brianna Stewart, who have been consistent all year long while leading their teams, you know, to the best records in the NBA or in the WNBA, excuse me. Um but I mean, I'll be surprised if if Fowles isn't on one of the all WNBA teams by the end of the season. But in terms of MVP, I, I don't think I can say she's the the leading candidate in that race. And I'm glad you said that, Dory. You know, like yes, she's having a tremendous season, but I think the standings definitely come into account. Like I don't think a WNBA MVP has been awarded to, to a player that's finished like outside the top three standings ever. I could be uh, mistaken, but I know like, I think it's, it's very rare for that to occur. And then, you know, like you mentioned, it's a little bit of recency bias, I will say in terms of, you know, people thinking still should win MVP. Cause I mean, let's not forget this team did start out on four and then since then, like, yeah, they're playing good. You know, they went on a great, hot streak going from you know 500 to to you know 13 and 7 if, if I'm reading this correctly they picked up two wins against Phoenix and wins against Dallas Las Vegas New York like, like those are all teams in the playoff hunt but dropping two games back to back against Connecticut and then you know like from like it's just like you said it's really up and down however uh, I won't I won't say she's leading candidate for MVP but I think she is the runaway candidate for Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, you mentioned the stat that, that I put in the chat about how Sylvia Fowles is the only player in WNBA history to average over 1.5 steals per game, 1.5 blocks per game, while shooting over 60% from the field. So disregard the 60% from the field. You know, obviously that's amazing and she's super efficient. But the fact that she can, can impact the game in so many ways you know, steals and blocks, just creating havoc on the defensive end for this team. It's it's impressive. It's really impressive. And I think that her winning defensive player of the year in her age 35 season, you know, it might not be MVP, but that's that's pretty darn cool. So who knows? Maybe they go on a, a huge streak to, you know, to end the season. You know, I'm looking at games. They've got three in a row against the Fever, in my opinion. They should win all of those. Then you've got some huge matchups against New York, Los Angeles, Washington, Vegas, and then at Washington to, to close out the season. So if they win the rest of these games and the Lynx finish first, then sure, you know, Sylvia Fowles should win MVP. But at this current stage in time, like you said, Aja Wilson, John Quill Jones, Brianna Stewart, you know, those are other players that have uh, better cases, in my opinion. But like I said, we got a couple of weeks left in the season. You know, we'll see how things shake out. So transitioning onto our next topic for the episode, Phoenix and New York last year, the Mercury 
and Liberty, they had a bit of a, a playoff miniseries. You know, they played Wednesday and then they played Friday as well. And I think that was the fourth time for New York this season that they've had kind of a mini series like that. I asked Coach Wall Hopkins, you know, about how, you know, his game plan changes from game to game. And, you know, he said it's based on personnel and all sorts of things. Different story. In the first game of this mini series last Wednesday, Brittany Griner, Diana Taurasi, Skylar Diggins-Smith, they all went crazy. Benadja Laney had 28 and 5 for Liberty, but it was pretty much a runaway for Phoenix. I think they won by, I want to say, 27 points. So that one was was not close, really, from start to finish. And Brittany Griner got injured late in the fourth quarter when the Mercury were up a bunch. So before we touch on Friday's game, I just wanted to get your thoughts on Wednesday's game. One, do you agree with the decision to, to leave Brittany Griner in late in the fourth quarter, despite, you know, such a huge lead? And, you know, if the injury is serious, what are your thoughts on this impacting the Mercury down the wire or should I say down the stretch? Yeah, well, I mean, just the game itself on Wednesday was was pretty interesting. And like you said, it was a dominant wire to wire win for Phoenix and their big three of of uh Skylar Diggins Smith, uh, Brittany Griner and Diana Taurasi, they were they were exceptional in that one. Uh, of course, before Griner went down with the ankle injury, um those three combined for for 74 of the team's 106 points. So, I mean, they were again just the focal point of the offense all night. Um 20 of the team's 26 assists, and they shot a combined 55% from the field. Um, Betnaja Laney, she had a great game for the Liberty. She she had 20 points, eight rebounds, and five assists in that one. But I think Dee Dee Richards, who, again, uh, one of the, the young guns on, on New York, she she was uh, very impressive in that, in that Wednesday game as well. She had a career-high 14 points, shooting four or five from three. And, you know, prior to this game, she had never scored more uh, in double digits throughout her rookie campaign this season. So to do so against one of the better teams in the league, uh, it's pretty it's pretty impressive from Dee, Dee Richards. Um, but in terms of the injury with with Griner's injury, uh, like you said, she left uh, the game with a, an ankle injury with about a minute 30 remaining in the game. And like you said, it just. It never makes sense to me when coaches decide to keep their star players in a game during a blowout, especially. Um, but luckily for for uh, Griner and I guess the team, uh, a lot of the pl- people within the organization were were not too concerned with the injury. Um, I think after the game, Diana Taurasi uh, was saying how you know it's it, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I I would imagine she'll be back in a few games. So. Again, I'm not too concerned about it. It is. It didn't look as bad, I guess, as some other ankle in, ankle injuries uh, that you, you might see. But I guess some positive news though is that she did throw throw down a, a transition dunk in that game. That was pretty cool to see. So, uh, but overall, again, yeah. I mean, again, I don't think I'm too concerned about the injury. I think Griner will be okay. Yeah, Jorian, I'm a little salty about missing that dunk. Not even gonna lie. You know, the, the one game I'm at, the, the one Liberty game I'm at, Brittany Griner throws down a dunk. And then, of course, Friday's game, she didn't play, so she couldn't dunk. And nobody was dunking when I was there. I just found it a little convenient. But um, <laughs> like you said, the injury, I mean, it, it definitely sucks now as they're, they're pushing for a, a, a solid playoff spot. But, you know, in the next game on Friday, losing Brittany Griner didn't really affect them that much as they were able to knock off the Liberty 
for the second time in in a handful of for the second time in three days excuse me I don't know why I forgot math they defeated them Friday 80 to 64 and man Skylar Diggins Smith what she was able to do in that game was downright ridiculous Jory what are your thoughts on the Friday matchup between Phoenix and New York firstly I want to get your thoughts on the Mercury and then we can transition to your thoughts on Liberty yeah, I mean, it was, again, kind of similar uh, with the to the first game. Obviously, no grinder in that one. But like you said, Skylar Diggins-Smith, who she, she led the way for the Mercury. She had a game-high 27 points, seven assists, four steals, and they won by 16. So it was another, um, you know, blowout win for Phoenix. Um, and then, you know, transitioning, I guess, to New York, it was Natasha Howard who – wasn't really much of a, a factor in their in their first matchup with Mercury. You know, the two nights before, I guess, I think she shot like two seven from the field, I believe, in that game. So, again, not much of a factor. Um, but she had a, a team high 18 points on eight for 14 shooting in this game. So, again, you know, it's it wasn't the uh, it, it was pretty much a dominant just series for Phoenix. Uh, throughout and I guess you know in a moment we'll be talking about uh Liberty's playoff hopes and things like that so that'll be interesting but yeah it not the best showing from New York I guess yeah I mean Phoenix in that game credit to them I mean they, they just like from the start it seemed that they really established themselves and New York for some reason it's like you know without Brittany Ground on the court Obviously, that removes uh, tremendous defensive presence and a shot blocker and things of that nature. In the first couple minutes of the game, they had like 10 points in the paint, just kept going to the pick and roll. Natasha Howard was racking them up early and often on the interior. And then the rest of the game, they got away from it. They only had 14 points in the paint over the, the remainder of the night after getting like 10 in the first five minutes. It was so strange to watch. But the Mercury, they were up big for a lot of it. I think they even went up. 17 points or 19 points at one point. Like I said, Skylar Diggins-Smith, she had another 27 points in that one. Just two score from all over the place, man. 11 for 11 from the line. She was getting there by any means possible. Just slash into the paint. She had like two back-to-back -to -back tough and ones. Like once New York took the lead, she went and did that and like gave it right back to Mercury and they did it again. Like she was just applying pressure nonstop at the rim. She was awesome. I think she won uh, Western Conference Player of the Week yesterday, so congrats to her. And she pretty much silenced the, the beef that was had between these two teams. Uh, Skylar went off in an earlier season matchup against these or against New York, but New York got the win. And, you know, Jasmine Jones and her, there was a bit of a feud on Twitter. But like I said, Skylar Diggins-Smith got the last laugh uh, last week, dominating in the Barclays Center. So Phoenix... They're now 15 and 10 moving forward. They've got a game tonight against Chicago, or should I say tonight at the time of recording in Chicago. We'll see, you know, who won by the time this episode releases on Wednesday. But as for New York, they're now 11 and 16. That was their, their fourth loss in a row. What are your thoughts on New York's playoff hopes, Jory? You know, do you think they still have a shot or at this point, should they start looking forward to next season, you know, what they'll be able to do once there isn't just a, a huge Olympic break. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure at the moment they're currently clinging on to the eighth seed or the final seed in the playoffs. So 
it's uh it's not looking great for the liberty but um you know while we are in the home stretch of the regular season it it could be difficult for other teams to to make up ground in the standings um the liberty they're not in the best of positions um but i feel like this is something i brought up a, a few episodes ago i believe uh, you know about the liberty i don't think they necessarily need to make the playoffs this season obviously they would want some of their younger players to get that postseason experience. Um, but it shouldn't necessarily be the end-all, be-all for this team. You know, a lot of their their best players, their star players, are under contract for uh, a good amount of time, you know, multiple, multiple more years. Um, you know, Natasha Howard, like, I, you know, we were talking about earlier, she sure, her contract doesn't expire until the 2025 season. Laney's contract, the 2024 season – as well as uh, Sabrina Ionescu and Michael Onionware, Onionware, uh, those again, 2024. Um, so, you know, while they're not the best team in the league at the moment, I do think they're ahead of the curve. Um, you know, in terms of their players, and you know, I don't, I don't think this team, as young as they are, should necessarily even be in the playoffs, but. You know, in a few seasons, I think they could be a pretty dominant team given the the talent that they have already on their roster. Yeah, Jory, that's a great point that you mentioned about New York and their future. I mean, I think I saw somewhere, I think down the stretch, this was a, a couple games ago, but I think it said New York had like the second toughest schedule after the Olympic break, you know, only second to, to the sky. So like, it wasn't, it doesn't seem like it's in the cards for them to, to make the playoffs, but also game by game basis, you know, factoring in injuries and, you know, players getting rest in advance of the playoffs. Like who knows what could happen? Uh, for example, I think they have a game at the time recording tonight against Minnesota. And as far as I'm concerned, or as far as I know, I should say, uh, Laisha Clarendon is, is out and Sylvia Fowles is questionable to play. So if the Liberty pick up a win tonight against Minnesota and they, you know, increase their hold on that eighth seed spot, you know, for all we know, they, they could sneak in. But I think it's, it's important, you know, what you mentioned about how they're a young team with a bunch of new pieces. For example, Sammy Whitcomb, who's been injured for the past, you know, over a week. She hasn't been able to play in, in quite some time. Uh, but Benigel Laney, she... It was a new acquisition this offseason, Natasha Howard as well. And then you've got, you know, younger players like Sabrina Ionescu. This was basically her first season. She only played three games in the bubble. Michaela Onionwari, she's a rookie. Didi's a rookie. Like, there was just so many new pieces added to this team coming off a year where they only won two games. The fact that they have 11 wins now, I feel like that should be uh, awarded. You know, so while they may not get into the playoffs, you know, it's, it's looking rough right now based on their schedule, just looking like on paper. I think it's important to, to realize the growth and also recognize that there is more to be done. And, and, and Coach Hopkins has said this, you know, in press conferences, like he knows the team's young and he knows there's a bunch of new pieces and it's tough for these players to mesh sometimes. But you know, he, he's fully aware of the fact that, you know, this this is just the beginning for this team. And I think the sky's the limit in the future, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in, in, in years to come. Because I think this team is really talented. 
and they have the pieces, you know, on the roster right now to, to make the playoffs. So will that happen this season? I don't know. Next season, though, you can book it. Moving on now, uh, last week, or should I say, you know, recently, we saw the return, air quotes, you know, intended, of Angel McCautry. You know, she tore ACL. I believe it was like 114, 115 days ago, maybe. And yet was somehow listed as questionable on the injury report against the Atlanta Dream uh, for Las Vegas, you know, in their recent game. Then to everyone's surprise, she was able to sub in against her former team in those final seconds. And those Atlanta fans were able to give her the send off she deserved that they weren't able to give her you know, when she left, you know, because the bubble last year and, you know, just a whole bunch of circumstances. So, Jory, how did you feel about this emotional moment for Angel McCautry? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a, just a cool moment for her and the Atlanta Dream especially. Um, you know, McCautry, she's she's probably the best player in franchise history for the Atlanta Dream. I mean, she was the rookie of the year back in 2009 a five-time All-Star, two-time All-WNBA first-team member. She led the league in scoring during both the 2012 and 13 seasons. Um, and she also helped the franchise reach the playoffs every year from 2009, you know, when she was a rookie, to 2016, which is pretty amazing considering that they were an expansion team just the year before she showed up, before she was drafted number one overall to, to Atlanta. Um and, you know, obviously with the ACL tear, it's questionable how many seasons, you know, she might have left in the W. Um, but hopefully she can win a championship with the Aces this year, and then that would just be a, a resume booster to her already, you know, Hall of Hall of Fame resume or Hall of Fame career. But it was a, it was a really cool moment, I think. And it, it's, it's just – you just love seeing those feel-good moments in sports. Yeah, Andrew McCaudry, like you said, in my opinion, she's unquestionably the best player in Atlanta Dream history, the best player in, in Louisville women's basketball history as well. I had to sneak that in there. I'm sorry, Jory. I simply had to. She's phenomenal. She had triple doubles and, you know, she won a bunch. Like, the things that she was able to accomplish, you know, in college and then in Atlanta, like you said, winning rookie of the year and making a bunch of all defensive teams and all WNBA teams, all star birds, like, she accomplished so much in Atlanta, you know, for them to not be able to get the, the send-off that they wanted for her, it, it was unfortunate. You know, she suffered uh, a first knee injury. I think it was like 2018, like towards the end of the season. But because she was out, you know, the, the dream, they were the second seed, but they, they lost in five games, you know, to the Mystics in like the semifinals, you know, and then 2019. She was sidelined, you know, with a knee injury, missing that entire season as well. So in 2020, when she left the dream to, to go to Las Vegas, you know, those fans didn't really get the, the send off that they that they wanted to have for, you know, uh, players leave franchises all the time, but they hadn't really gotten that chance to give her that standing ovation or the, the respect or the send off that she deserved until a couple of days ago. And like you said, those feel good moments are always great. And it's, it's uh, inspiring, or should I say, it's, it's emotional, you know, to, to watch a franchise legend, you know, like you said, on her, her, you know, potentially, you know, her last couple seasons in the league, you know, to get 
that 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 send off, you know, from, you know, the, the place that she called home for over a decade. So I thought that was really cool. And who knows, you know, I, me, I don't want the Aces to win this year. I would like Sky to win. But if the Aces win and they get Angel a championship, then I'm not going to argue, you know, against a Cardinal winning a ring. I'm just not going to, you know. So well, you're always winning somehow because you always have a stake in every team. Dory, I have to, to balance my agendas a certain way. <laughs> So that no matter what result, I win somehow. It's it, it makes sense when you really look at it. <laughs> speaking of speaking of, since we're on the topic of you know awesome players returning from injury, we had the return of Elena Della Don. You know she came back last week and has had some some mixed performances. She had 18 points and five rebounds in a W against the Sparks. Then she played some of their next game against Dallas before leaving with an injury and then missing the next game as well. So, you know, before, or I guess you can just give me your thoughts on the Mystics and Elena Deladon. You know, one, do you think they should be careful with her health and consider the rest of the season? Do they, you know, try and gauge where she is physically, you know, to see if they can play for a playoff push? Or, you know, do you think the Mystics even have a chance at a playoffs? Just give me your, your unfiltered thoughts on the situation in Washington. Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit earlier about the New York Liberty being a, a fringe playoff team. Washington or the, the Mystics, they're one of those teams, you know, right there on the fence of whether or not making the postseason. So, and, you know, normally in any sport, when it's this late in the season, in the regular season, and you're still on the outside looking in of the playoff bracket, at least, kind of makes more sense to just punt the season and go for go for it the next year. But I feel like in terms of Washington's case, it's a little different. I think it makes more sense to push for the playoffs, given you know the state of their roster. They have Tina Charles, who's been one of the best players in the league this season, and I believe still on pace to break the all-time single season scoring record, you know, in the average scoring, I think she's at 24.5, I believe. I have to double check, but something absolutely absurd. Um, you know, Ariel Atkins is who is also having a career year. She was selected to her first All-Star game this season. New Jersey's uh, very own Misha Hines Allen, of course, and then you know Della Don, who's now coming back. So uh, I think they would need Della Don to be, you know, her of the past, you know, 2019, 2018 Della Don for them to really make a push in the playoffs. But you know, I don't think it hurts for them to try and make the the postseason right now. Um, you know, given that they're going to be. I mean, I, I think it makes sense because then you go into next season with a little bit momentum and you have a fully loaded squad and you could be, you know, on the cusp of getting to even further in the postseason. So I, I feel like being outside of the playoffs, you know, just barely missing the playoffs is the worst position to be in. And I do think it would make sense for Washington to compete for the playoffs. Yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting case because, you know, the entire season they, they've been shorthanded. And this is coming off an offseason where they had a, you know, a decent bit of turmoil. You know, Christy Tolliver going to Los Angeles, you know, recently. And then you know, Emma Mieseman, you know, going from the, the international break to, you know, the Olympics where she went crazy, if you remember. And then 
I think she she said that she wouldn't, you know, be able to return to the team this year, you know, for the Mystics. So they've been without her. And then Elena Deladon being able to, to come back against Seattle. I think she had 16 points in that game, which, you know, was pretty decent, you know, when you think about it. But, you know, and then, and then oh, geez, excuse me. In the next game against Los Angeles, like I said, she had 18 and five, like she was cool. And then she hasn't played, you know, against Dallas in those last, in these last two games for Washington. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, me personally, I would, would sit her unless she's like clamoring to play, in which case, you know, the, the, the players, you know, if they're healthy in their eyes and they come first. And, you know, credit to Washington, you know, in their win against Dallas last Saturday, I think they were down like 18 points in that game and they managed to come back and win somehow. Like it was ridiculous, their comeback in the second half. They were down, if I'm reading this correctly, 35 to 19 at halftime. And then from there, they outscored them in the second half by a bunch and stole the win by a point. So credit to Washington, you know, they've shown they can win without Elena Deladon, but the schedule coming up, I mean, you've got Connecticut, Minnesota, Seattle in your next three games. Like that's that's pretty much a murderer's row of teams, you know, if they're fully healthy. Now, you know, obviously Minnesota, they could potentially be without Sylvia Fowles or Alicia Clarendon in Seattle, you know, who knows, they might choose to rest Sue Bird or Van Stewart. Like, we don't know how things work game by game, but like down the stretch, I mean, you've got end of the season game against Minnesota. You know, if that game is for playoff seating, we could see the Lynx play all their players. You've got a road game on ABC against the Chicago Sky. Like their schedule is not a cakewalk down the stretch at all. So for all we know, you know, this, you know, trying to push for the playoffs may be futile. Uh, and it just comes down to, to momentum and, you know, who, who knows, we'll see what's what. Starting off the, the return from the Olympic break with a four game losing streak was not the best for, for Washington. But we look at the, the teams they played, Las Vegas back-to-back and then Phoenix and Seattle. Like that's that's brutal. So the schedule makers, they clearly had it out for Washington, but we'll see, man. Time will tell. That'll do it for this episode of Coast to Coast. For the amazing Jory Mickens, I have been your host for this edition, Heaven Hill. Uh, so long and take care.